Hello, and welcome to the Clinical Care Options Infectious Disease Podcast. I'm your host, Tiffany Hensley-McBain. Today's episode features content from an educational program titled Tackling Racial Disparities in Care for HIV and Viral Hepatitis. During this podcast, Dr. Aloacion Fulad-Hulia from Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and Johns Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore, Maryland, and Dr. Joseph Lim from Yale University School of Medicine in New Haven, Connecticut, discuss barriers to hepatitis C care for specific populations and solutions to overcome racial disparities in care. For more information on Dr. Falad Wulia and Dr. Lim, and for a link to the full online educational program, including downloadable slides specific to today's discussion, please visit the show notes for this episode. Now let's get started and hear what Dr. Lim has to say about the HCV burden and treatment gaps in specific populations in the United States. Good day. I hope that everyone's doing well. Uh, We're thrilled to discuss today a really important topic in our care of patients with chronic hepatitis C with a focus on managing racial disparities in the care of patients with chronic HCV infection. Let's go through the overview of topics that we'll be discussing today. First, we'll be reviewing global epidemiology and burden of HCV. We'll be discussing the burden specific to various populations based on race and ethnicity. Third, we'll be discussing some of the factors that drive these disparities that impact our management. And finally, we'll discuss strategies and how we can overcome these barriers to HCV care. So let's get started with discussion about global burden. Now we recognize that the epidemiology of hep C has evolved quite significantly over the last 10 to 20 years and that current estimate of chronic HCV infection is approximately 58 million persons. Now, if you look at this global map, uh, the burden is concentrated uh, in the Eastern Hemisphere, particularly in uh, East, South, Southeast, and Central Asian countries and Africa. Collectively, this represents approximately 70 to 80% of the global burden of chronic HCV infection. Even in this context, in which we're now beginning to screen patients for hepatitis C on a universal basis for CDC and US Preventive Service Task Force recommendations, one must not forget uh, that as we care for patients who are from uh, originally from countries with high anonymity, that these are the patients we should be prioritizing for HCV screening and management. Here in the United States, uh, we have evolving epidemiology data which confirmed that based on NHANES survey, that approximately 0.9% of patients have HCV RNA positivity consistent with chronic infection, or approximately 2.1 million persons. We recognize NHANES may not be the best survey because it may underestimate the burden because it excludes some of the highest risk populations, including the homeless, the incarcerated, institutionalized persons. Non-NHANES surveys may estimate that up to 4.6 million persons may be infected. Nevertheless, NHANES does provide rich epidemiologic data which identify the highest risk population, including a difference by gender, twofold prevalence in men versus women, twofold prevalence among African Americans compared to other race and ethnicity groups, a threefold increased prevalence among US veterans, and it helps identify some of the risk factors that are commonly associated with HIV infection. Now, we also recognize that although there has been a historic focus on baby boomers, uh, those particularly in the age group, age 40 to 59, uh, the prevalence actually is no longer is concentrated only in the baby population with what we now call a bimodal distribution of HCV. As of 2018, CDC data now confirms that the group with the highest prevalence are those in the age group age 25 to 39 years. And this helps to support current recommendations for universal screening. 
We are very fortunate in 2021 that we have highly effective all oral DAA regimens or directly acting antivirals that are associated with very high rates of sustained virologic response, which we view as virologic cure. In turn, we know that SVR is associated with significant improvement in clinical outcomes, including a reduction in risk of cirrhosis, liver cancer, liver failure, and liver-related and all-cause mortality. It's in this context that we are very hopeful that we have the tools for treatment that we can begin to dream about elimination of hepatitis C here in the United States and globally. The World Health Organization has articulated goals for HCV elimination by the year 2030. This is defined by several different categories of goals, including expansion of services with, in terms of diagnosis rate of 90%, uh, in terms of treatment of eligible patients at 80%, treating uh, those patients to cure in 90% of patients, and ensuring harm reduction in 50% of persons to inject drugs. There are additional goals regards to decrease in new acute infections and decrease in HCV-related mortality. How are we doing as of 2021 in regards to achieving these goals here in the United States? Two of the goals that have been prioritized are number one, to reduce the rate of new acute infections, and number two, to reduce the rate of HCV-related mortality uh, to a goal of less than three per 100,000 population. And as you'll see on the left, uh, it turns out that we're not doing a very good job in terms of decreasing acute HCV. Although this graph only starts at 2013, it turns out that the rate of acute HCV has been on the rise since 2009 for over a decade. And so if our goal is to reduce acute infection to less than 35,000 nationally, we're headed in the wrong direction. As in fact, over the last decade, the rate of acute infection has basically doubled during this period of observation. Now on the right, we are have more encouraging signs or doing a better job of reducing the rate of mortality attributable to HCV. If our goal is less than three per 100,000 population, you can see here that since 2013, there's been small stepwise decreases in ACE-related mortality over the last decade. And we may in fact be on target to achieve this goal by 2023. Now, this is what we call the HCV care cascade or care continuum with a concept that among patients who have HCV infection, how are we doing in terms of establishing the diagnosis, linking these patients to care, offering antiviral therapy, and achieving virologic cure? Um, there are multiple studies now, including this published by Yahia et al., which show that we're not doing a very good job. Among patients with chronic HCV, it's estimated that we are diagnosing only about 50% of patients who are both diagnosed and aware. And of that group, only a subset are actually confirmed based on RNA, undergo fibrosis testing, are started on antiviral agents, and actually achieve SVR. On an intent to cure basis, we estimate that less than 10% as of 2013 had achieved biologic cure, signaling that there's much work to be done. Among these steps, we believe that the rate limiting step is diagnosis and should be a focus of attention in our elimination efforts. Now, we'd like to transition to the focus of today's discussion, which is uh, what are the known epidemiologic data regarding disparities on the basis of race and ethnicity that relates to HCV infection? So first, we'll discuss about the unique burdens of HCV and HCV-related outcomes among Hispanic whites and Blacks. In this study from Stanford University, in which they followed approximately 3,500 patients over a period of approximately one decade, they, and we, they observed that HCC occurred in approximately 240 patients, about 20% of this cohort, 
and decompensation occurred in approximately 60% of this cohort. Now, mind you, these are all patients with HCV cirrhosis at baseline. What they observed is that based on a comparison by race and ethnicity groups, uh, that the risk for hepatic decompensation was increased among Hispanic versus non-Hispanic patients, 66 versus 59%, as well as a higher risk for liver cancer among Hispanic versus non-Hispanic persons, difference of 28 versus 18%. If you further diversify based on the presence or absence of metabolic risk factors, such as diabetes, hyperlipidemia, or hypertension, that the presence of two or more of these metabolic risk factors further augments this risk with an adjusted odds ratio of 1.89. In another study from national VA data, what we call the clinical case registry, looking at 150,000 veterans with chronic HCV, they looked at patients and followed for a median of 5.2 years in whom approximately 13,000 had cirrhosis, about 3,500 developed incident HCC. Compared to white and black patients, Hispanic, whites, or blacks collectively were associated with a higher risk of cirrhosis with adjusted odds ratio of 1.22 and a higher risk of liver cancer with adjusted odds ratio of 2.0. Again, signaling and consistent with the prior data that Hispanic Americans, Hispanic whites and blacks appeared to have a higher risk of disease progression to cirrhosis and liver cancer. Furthermore, we have data which show lower treatment rates in Hispanic versus non-Hispanic patients. Looking at this study in an urban safety net health system uh, collaborative study at four different sites with approximately 29,000 patients cared for within these systems, we see that the overall treatment of adults with HCV did actually increase over time but if there's one group that had a lower likelihood of ongoing treatment, it was observed in the Hispanic white population with an odds ratio of 0.48, which was statistically significant. I'd like to transition to looking at etnologic data among Asian Americans with chronic HCV. So current data uh, in terms of population studies signal that Asian Americans represent the fastest group, uh, growing racial group in the United States over the last decade. Compared to the general population, as uh, we estimate that Asian Americans appear to have a higher risk of HCV po antibody positivity and RNA positivity compared to the general population, as well as in comparison to the baby boomer cohort with estimated 4.3% antibody positivity rate. Importantly, uh, although there are disparities and deficits in terms of awareness of one's HCV positive diagnosis in all uh, race and ethnicity groups, uh, that we see a particularly high rate of unawareness among East and South Asians. In other words, about two, about three quarters of East and South Asian patients with the HCV positivity were unaware of their infection at the time of the survey. Regards to route of transmission, it does appear that Asian Americans appear to have a lower uh, rate of having risk factors based on injection drug use compared to the general population. And furthermore, uh, we do have data which show that there appears to be an increased risk of HCV cirrhosis and liver cancer compared to other race and ethnicity groups. This is based on data from the UK and from merged Sierra Medicare data. Now, furthermore, what we wanna highlight here is that uh, there appears to be a unique genotype coverage among Asian Americans from Southeast Asian origin. In fact, what we see is that particularly from Vietnam and other surrounding Southeast Asian countries, uh, there's an overrepresentation of genotype six which is less common here in the United States. And um, compared to other genotypes, there we now have data from this study, among others, that suggests that the presence of genotype 6 cirrhosis due to hepatitis C 
associated with a higher risk of HCC with an adjusted odds ratio of 2.12. I'd like to transition to looking at epidemiology data among American Indian and Alaska Native persons. First, in regards to incident acute infection, we recognized in our previous discussion that the overall rate of acute HCV has been on the rise over the last decade. However, if you look at the differences among ethnic, uh, ethnicity and race groups, uh, that there is no higher burden observed than in the AIAN population. You can see on the right, the blue line here that sees, shows that compared to the overall group that we see the highest uh, rate overall as a whole and the highest uh, slope of the curve in terms of rise in HCV incidence over the last decade. And furthermore, data from Riley et al. from New England Journal of Medicine show that HCV associated mortality in the United States, at least as of 2015, is high overall at around 5 to 100,000, but is, is the highest in the AIAN population at 12.95 per 100,000. How are we doing regards to HCV testing in this population? We have two studies, first from the Indian Health Service. The Indian Health Service cares for about 2 million persons of AIAN origin, over 566 tribes or 35 states. The majority use a common electronic health record, which is very useful for looking at national data. And what we observe is that there's significant regional and central level variation in ACV testing. But since 2012 to 2015, there has been improvement in testing from approximately 8% to 32% during this time of observation, signaling increasing awareness and testing of this population. The key predictor is the use of electronic health records uh, as in clinical decision tools to augment HCV testing. Now we transition to the Cherokee Nation as there has been a focused HCV elimination program that was implemented uh, shortly after the arrival of DA regimens. What we see here is that an early assessment of the first 22 months of this elimination program, we have data looking at how we're doing in terms of screening as well as the overall HCV care cascade. What we see is that there, in fact, has improvement similar to the Indian Health Service, showing that there's increased HV screening first time from around 20% to 38% during this period of observation. But if you look at the care cascade, there remain important deficits. If you look at the estimated burden of chronic HCV in blue on the right, it is estimated that less than 50% actually have been diagnosed and, and are aware of their infection, about 49%, and to be more precise. Of this group, only a subset actually underwent evaluation and linkage to care. Of that group, only a subset underwent antiviral treatment. In order to go to that group that were actually treated, approximately 85% achieved virologic cure. So on, a, um, on an intent to cure basis of the denominator of those infected, in fact, the overall cure rate was only 20%. Still quite sobering and signaling that much work remains to be done, even in the context of a focused attention uh, HCV elimination program in the Cherokee Nation. So at this time, I am honored to introduce my colleague who will be um, moving to the next section, Dr. Flaud William. Thank you very much, Dr. Lim. I will now switch gears and talk about hepatitis C related disparities among African-Americans. When we look at disease prevalence among African-Americans compared to non-Hispanic white persons in the US, African-Americans are twice as likely to be infected with hepatitis C. Part of this is because they are less likely to spontaneously clear hepatitis C infection due to uh, 
single nucleotide polymorphism adjacent to the IL-28 gene, where the CC genotype is less common amongst African-Americans. They also have a higher risk of end-stage liver disease complications, hepatocellular cancer rates that are two times higher, and unfortunately, when we switch to access to care for these infections, they are also less likely to be aware of the hepatitis C infection, less likely to be referred and linked to specialty care, less likely to receive hepatitis C treatment, less likely to be listed for transplant, and when listed, stay longer on the liver transplant wait list. The good news is that our current oral DAA therapies are not affected by genetic factors so that these therapies, when made available to patients, de deliver high hepatitis C cure rates, regardless of race, sex, substance use, or mental health disorder history, as demonstrated in this real-world cohort of HIV hepatitis C co-infected patients treated for hepatitis C in Baltimore. This analysis of multiple cause of death data from 2017, well into the oral DA era, is thus disheartening. We continue to see high hepatitis C associated mortality rates among non-Hispanic Blacks of 7.03 per 100,000 population compared to a rate of 3.7 per 100,000 population amongst whites. When we focus on populations of American Indians and Alaska Natives, we again see exceedingly disproportionately higher rates of liver-associated mortality. So what factors are driving these racial disparities? As we move towards solutions, I find it helpful to consider this, the disparities through the lens of health equity and social determinants that may predispose communities of color to HCV infection and make it more challenging for communities of color to access hepatitis C testing, treatment, and care. HCV among unsheltered homeless and incarcerated individuals is 10 to 11 times the prevalence in the general population. Unfortunately, Blacks bear a disproportionate burden of homelessness in the U.S., while only 13% of the U.S. population is Black, 39.4% of all homeless people in the U.S. are Black. Differential policing practices by race have contributed to incarceration rates five times higher among Blacks than whites, so that Black communities are disproportionately represented in the U.S. prison population, representing 33% of prison inmates while representing a much smaller proportion of the overall U.S. population. It's important to note that incarceration is a risk factor for hepatitis C acquisition. Historical events like the Tuskegee study in which African-American men were left untreated for syphilis also contribute to lack of trust of the healthcare system and may make it harder for communities of color to seek hepatitis C treatment in the traditional specialist settings where most hepatitis C treatment is offered. Structural racism, the mutually reinforcing inequitable systems that in turn reinforce discriminatory beliefs, values, and distribution of resources have impacted multiple societal systems, including healthcare, housing, education, and criminal justice. 
Briefly exploring the impact of lack of access to quality health education, for example, we see how these educational issues are strongly linked to job type, income and wealth, incarceration, home ownership, healthcare access, and quality of healthcare. All these factors coalesce to increase the risk of adverse health outcomes for communities of color. In addition, hepatitis C is often associated with substance use and mental health conditions. The stigma of these conditions further exacerbates HCV care disparities. These longstanding social determinants of health need to, be, need to continue to be addressed. However, more acutely, to overcome the barriers to improved hepatitis C outcomes in communities of color, our public health policies and clinical programs need to be centered on the specific needs of communities to promote health equity so that all members of society enjoy a fair and just opportunity to be as healthy as possible. It is reassuring that the Viral Hepatitis National Strategic Plan identifies the need to reduce viral hepatitis-related disparities and health inequities and has articulated four clear objectives. Objective one, reduce stigma and discrimination faced by people with and at risk for viral hepatitis. Objective two, reduce disparities in new viral hepatitis infections, knowledge of status, and along the cascade or continuum of care. Objective three, expand culturally competent and linguistically appropriate viral hepatitis prevention, care, and treatment services, and four, address social determinants of health and co-occurring conditions. So what are some practical steps we can take to achieve these goals? We need to increase prevention, testing, and awareness for all groups. We've had some major policy changes in the last couple of years that make this possible. The Affordable Care Act ensures that most insurance plans will cover testing for hepatitis C with no cost sharing. Recent changes and recommendations by the CDC and USPSTF now recommend routine screening for hepatitis C in all adults. So we no longer have to worry about risk factors or trying to figure out how old someone is. Every person should get at least one hepatitis C test. We also need to expand access to testing at community-based sites where patients are comfortable accessing services, public health clinics, mobile vans, homeless shelters, syringe service programs, jails, and prisons. It's also important to ensure that every person that gets tested receives their results. And a key way to do this is by implementing point-of-care hepatitis C testing, especially if we're doing testing in outreach settings so that individuals leave the testing event with a knowledge and awareness of their hepatitis C status. We also need to increase provider awareness and training to implement routine hepatitis C testing, thus reducing stigma related to hepatitis C infection. We will now hear one of the most important voices in our quest to eliminate hepatitis C, the patient perspective. Yes, um, and it hasn't changed much. So it first happened back in the mid 90s when I got diagnosed with HIV, then three years later, 
So I was diagnosed with hepatitis and it was like everybody kept saying, oh, don't worry about it. You know, you know, it's it's nothing to do. So I was even being taken care of in one of the prominent uh, hospitals in New York and they never referred me to hepatologists or gastroenterologists. Then you fast forward to 2013 when people like me already knew we had hepatitis. Now I'm living with HIV for over 25 years. I'm getting up there in age. And there was just no interest in treating um, me. But yet I had known mono-infected hepatitis patients who happened to be white who were getting treated already, you know, whether it was through a study or uh, expanded access or whatever. So basically I had to enter a study. I would have to wait till probably later on to get treated because I had not progressed to cirrhosis or anything. But, you know, it's as you learn the data and read, you know that you're not safe at any moment. There could be a problem based on that. And I could I could tell you, I was already experiencing some brain fog. I was already experiencing fatigue. You know, um, my digestive system was already working. So I wanted to get access to the curative drugs. They were already out. You know, they tried to put me back on <laughs> the injections. And it was kind of crazy because I'm working. My job was to get people on you know, into trials and into care. So I knew where, what was happening. And it was just never really referred to even me. And I think a lot of the biases just, you know, first, you know, IV drug use history. I mean, there's the bias all the way down the healthcare line. I mean, I've been clean for 27 years. And every time someone mentions that to me, it's the first thing on my chart. Um, and when you look up the history of IV drug use, then it says HIV and hep C. And it's like, so the first thing people want to know is, am I still using? And they never believe that you're not. That's, that's how I feel. So part of what the problem is, is just a bias against people who look like me or people who have a history of drugs, which they don't have to look like me. They all get you know, mistreated in that case. But then there's another twist when it comes to black and brown people. I think that most doctors are trained to protect themselves and they're scared and they're terrified. So I've done a lot of trainings to physicians on, you know, empathy. Thank you, Ms. Saracen, for sharing your powerful story. As we in our individual practices and roles seek to improve access and support for hepatitis C treatment for all populations, there are some things we need to be thinking about. How do we build systems that support hepatitis C treatment by community providers in settings patients are already accessing care with their primary care doctors, in their opioid treatment programs, in public health clinics, for example. We also need to think about the powerful role that peers and patients navigators can play in reducing stigma and other barriers to hepatitis C care. I can share from my experience that peers are able to communicate in culturally congruent ways that increase the likelihood of patient engagement in the care that they require. We also need to expand access to hepatitis C treatment for incarcerated populations. And we also should be partnering with the communities that are most affected and including their perspectives and ideas in the programs we're developing and implementing to provide services to these communities. 
I will now talk about one of such programs in Baltimore City. The Baltimore City Health Department has two sexual health clinics. They are busy urban clinics providing 30,000 patient visits a year, staffed by NPs and PAs under supervision of an NP. These clinics have provided STD HIV testing and treatment and hepatitis immunization to a largely medically underserved minority population for decades. In 2013, a rapid hepatitis C antibody testing program was implemented. Patients were offered routine rapid hepatitis C testing provided by a patient's navigator. Results were made available in 20 minutes so that patients got their antibody result before leaving the clinic. Patients were also told about the availability of oral treatments that cure hepatitis C and offered linkage to care services. They got a blood draw at that same visit with blood sent to a commercial laboratory for confirmatory ATV RNA testing. When those results came back, a patient navigator reached out and encouraged patients to come back to the clinic where they were linked to a clinician in that same clinic for hepatitis C treatment. These are results from the first two and a half years of the study. Care was provided to 560 HCV viremic patients, 80% of whom were black. Majority of these patients were insured by Medicaid. And if you switch your vision to the care continuum to your right, you see that 75% of patients who were RNA positive were actually scheduled for HCV evaluation, indicating that they were aware that they were viremic. Now, a major barrier to care you see is that of those that attended their appointment, essentially everybody that had stage F2 or greater liver disease was prescribed hepatitis C treatment. And the reason is because at the time, liver disease severity was a, restrict, was a marker for restriction of access to therapy by Medicaid. This slide illustrates that for us to increase access to therapy and provide treatment to all, all restrictions to hepatitis C treatment need to be removed. Innovative programs like the ECHO model that allows the creation of learning collaboratives where specialists work remotely with providers in community-based sites to support them to provide hepatitis C treatment to their patients have been shown to be effective in multiple settings, including in primary care and also in the penitentiary system. We need to implement more programs like this that allow us to co-locate hepatitis C treatment with other services patients are currently receiving, like opioid treatment programs, or in settings patients are currently located, like in our penitentiary system. We will now hear from another patient and their perspective. Yeah, like there also wasn't like a linkage to a health and wellness clinic that was, you know, quality and very um, invested in me when I was, when I contracted HIV and Hep C. Um, I found out through, uh, I went to the LGBT center here in San Francisco and got tested for a gift card um, with the St. James Infirmary. And there was a case manager with the St. James Infirmary who was very invested in me, so much so that he came out to find me on multiple occasions, you know, while I was homeless. I spent four years homeless in the streets of San Francisco, 
um, using needles via um, intravenous consumption methods. And um, that's how I contracted HIV and Hep C. The person who was really invested in me was a person of color. And he continues to do this work. How many doctors do you know that are willing to go outside of their brick and mortar and go embrace a community of people? Like, it's rare that doctors do that. But in order to end Hep C as an epidemic, I believe that's most definitely a requirement that doctors step outside of their brick and mortar and go meet people where they're at in order to discuss proper methods of treating this thing. I, th- I think it's to stop stigmatizing, like, who could potentially have Hep C, like, in the sense of, you know, any and everybody should, be, should have the availability to be tested. And it should be actually something that's brought up. It's not, it shouldn't be something that somebody has to ask for. You know, like I literally go outside and do outreach to folks in their community and I say, hey, you got any chronic medical conditions that are not being treated? And I say this, it could range from asthma, PTSD, bipolar, HIV, hep C, cancer, cardiovascular disease. Once we start actually talking about these things in a way that's like, yo, like even if you don't have it, I just mentioned it to you. So now you're curious. That's a preventative method step right there. Um, Just opening up a table for people to have these discussions and to seek whatever treatment that they need or to deny whatever treatment they don't want. Or, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And San Francisco Community Health Center was the same organization that came and reached me where I was at. And now I work for them. And, and, and like, the, like the, the full circle of, of, of this community is absolutely, like, mind-blowing and, and overwhelmingly joyful and fulfilling. And that's what we need in order to end this epidemic, is a whole gang of people willing to do the footwork. Um, but what I also wanted to end with is that, like, you know, sometimes ending the epidemic of hep C is not just about the, the medication. Sometimes it's about the holistic health of that individual like, not only are you probably dealing with multiple um, comorbidities, but um, there's also the understanding that what is it that is leading this person to using substances? Like, you know, really looking at the person and what they're going through and, and giving them all of the routes to heal. That's really important. Thank you, Pat, for sharing your perspective. And so our key take-home points are that hepatitis C remains a local and global public health burden. Hepatitis C results in substantial morbidity and mortality. Persistent deficits across the cascade of hepatitis C care continue to limit the impact of these amazing oral DAA therapies. The disproportionate burden of hepatitis C and ACV-related morbidity and mortality among Hispanic, Alaska Native, American Indian, and Black populations need attention. Medical, public health, and policy approaches are needed to address the global burden of hepatitis C. And within the US, an increasing role of integrative care models will be essential to addressing the hepatitis C burden. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Dr. Fladewulia and Dr. Lim for that excellent presentation. Um, I'd like to just start by asking our faculty if they can comment on the patient perspectives of Ms. Searson and Pat and how their experiences may inform how clinicians implement strategies to combat racial bias and racial disparities in HCV care. Do you guys have any thoughts on that you'd like to share? 
Sure, I think we can get started on this and I look forward to a conversation about this issue. Um, I think that the patient stories were really powerful and I think that they really provide uh, incredibly personal insights in terms of their experience, in terms of interacting uh, with the health system. And I think that there's, it's very clear that uh, there's a perception of um, being ignored or not being heard and that their needs uh, were not uh, fully met uh, within the existing systems that were in place in terms of providing medical care. Uh, the words like you know using uh, brick and mortar, the idea is that the traditional models of delivering uh, patient care uh, within traditional clinics and offices uh, is going to be inadequate to address the burden of HCV and that going to um, uh, uh, new models of care delivery, uh, whether it's within prison systems or within uh, um, method of maintenance clinics, uh, within community health centers, um, or it's within mobile health vans, uh, all the above will be likely necessary uh, so we can reach individuals where they are, uh, as my colleague Dr. Falad Willia uh, really highlighted articulately. And so, you know, I think that um, uh, it's important that we as community uh, really um, remain um, open and humble to uh, being having a clarity as to what the needs are, trying to better learn and understand from our patients' perspectives um, and how we as individual clinicians, but also as institutions, uh, how we can um, take um, strategic institutional approaches addressing these disparities. I completely agree with you, Dr. Lim. And I think the other thing I heard was normalizing hepatitis C testing and treatment. And as providers, we have a big role to play in that. You know, language matters. Um, we should be routinely offering testing to everyone so that nobody feels left out or singled out. Because as Dr. Lim highlighted, there are populations that do not have traditional risk factors for hepatitis C, and we do them a disservice by not testing and offering them treatment as indicated. And I think another key theme was reducing stigma. Um, we all have to be careful about the language we're using. And again, treating hepatitis C as a disease, like every other disease, which we as a health system are obligated to provide equitable access to treatment for. Thank you for your, um, for your responses to that question. As we wait for some more participant questions to come in, um, maybe we could just continue this discussion. Both Pat and Ms. Searson um, shared their experiences of um, interacting with providers who stigmatize them for their past drug use. Um, do you have any um, strategies that clinicians can implement to maybe overcome some of the bias surrounding, surrounding drug use that kind of coincides with some of the hepatitis C stigma that patients might be experiencing? I think like hepatitis C, you know, increasingly we have come to understand that substance use disorders are chronic medical conditions like any other condition. Um, patients, you know, deserve to be treated with respect um, and they need to be treated for whatever medical conditions they have without any type of judgment. Um, as you know, clinicians and those of us involved in providing care for patients, our main motivation is improving outcomes. And we do need to continue to focus on that 
we need to understand and really in our daily practice show that we believe in patient autonomy and that our role is to provide support for our patients to achieve their goals because that's how they are more likely to engage with us and in the treatments that we're offering to them. Our language should be factual. Um, it should not in any way infer blame or lack of worth, but be factual and supportive of meeting the patient's care goals. I don't know what you think, Dr. Lim, about this. Uh, yeah, well, additional comment that I would make is that um, uh, there are uh, a number of systemic issues that we do need to address regards to policies, regards to treatment of persons who inject drugs. It's very clear that the data suggests that the ability to initiate, adhere to, complete treatment, and achieve SVR are really uh, very similar to those of other uh, treatment groups. And they're unfortunately um, at the payer level, uh, at both public and private payers, it's clear that there remains biases against individuals with a history of or have active injection drug use. And so those barriers have to go away and so that, that there's equal access to DA therapy without any discrimination against individuals uh, with these particular risk factors. There is no medical basis uh, for these existing restrictions. Uh, now, in addition, uh, we do have to bear in mind that from a public health perspective, that treatment of persons who inject drugs can be viewed as treatment as prevention, as noted, um, and that um, there is a real opportunity uh, to really um, address HCV uh, within um, injection drug use com uh, communities if we are very uh, proactive in identifying patients where they are and helping to treat, identify and treat these patients uh, in each local community where HCV is being spread. Um, so this is something that I don't know is happening with Dr. Vlad in, in Baltimore, and I know that in many other urban areas around the country, uh, but there are clearly um, gaps uh, throughout the country that still require um, active investment and intervention. Okay, thank you both for your perspectives on that. We're, we're a little bit over time, but we did have one question come in that I wanna ask you to both briefly um, respond to if you can. Joanna asks, um, how can research be improved to help understand prevention and treatment strategies needed to reach populations vulnerable to HCV who do not receive consistent medical care? So where are the gaps that, re that research can help address? I think uh, I think this is a really wonderful question, but also a very challenging one, because I'm not sure that there's any one methodological approach that is going to um, really help to move the needle uh, at the policy and payer levels. Um, but one of the most compelling that we have observed in terms of influencing these policies are cost-effectiveness studies. And uh, in addition to showing that in individual um, demonstration models that we can treat uh, uh, specific populations, including uh, with a focus on persons of color or AIN populations or those who uh, persons who inject drugs, uh, is that we can demonstrate that at the population level uh, that it is in the interest of, of at the population health level and at the payer level that diagnosis, screening, clinical care, and treatment to the point of SVR is cost effective and life saving. 
Uh, these are very challenging to conduct uh, in a methodologic sound manner, uh, but it's exactly these types of studies that may be necessary uh, to really move this field forward. And so I'm very hopeful that um, many of the key research agencies will fund exactly this type of work to make that possible. I completely agree with you, Dr. Lin. We also need to think about increasing our understanding of these issues in rural areas, and in particular, working with community-based organizations that provide services to these populations, often testing at sites like syringe service programs and looking at integration of hepatitis C testing and treatment in these settings. Um, COVID-19 has opened the world of telemedicine to us so that we are at a unique place where we have additional tools to increase access to testing and treatment in places that may not necessarily have specialists or providers that can provide these treatments. Great. Thank you very much, Dr. Falad Nulia and Dr. Lim, and thanks to our listeners for joining in. As a reminder, to view the full educational program, Tackling Racial Disparities in Care for HIV and Viral Hepatitis, on the Clinical Care Options website, click on the link in the show notes. And please be sure to check back regularly for more episodes on important infectious disease topics. Thanks!